Hey everybody, my name is Jesse Collings, and I want to tell you all about my show, The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. On The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast, we do a thorough analysis on the biggest issues and trends within the pro wrestling industry. We talk a lot about pro wrestling media, we talk a lot about fan culture and wrestling's place within general pop culture, and we talk about the broader influences that are shaping the way we discuss and analyze the pro wrestling industry. We've had some of the brightest minds in the pro wrestling intelligentsia on the show, including WrestleNomics host Brandon Thurston, both Rich Krejci and Joe Lanza from the Flagship Wrestling Podcast, Trevor Dame from the Through the Years Podcast, and a whole lot more. This isn't a show for hot takes. It's not a show recapping the latest episode of television. This is a show focusing on the biggest topics in pro wrestling and doing a deep dive on the real stories behind the surface level analysis you might find elsewhere. The Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd really appreciate it if you gave us a try. Thanks. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy here on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. I am your host, Tyler Fornis. With me, as always, is Mr. December, Fred Moreland. Fred, how are you? I'm doing well, man. It has been a bit since we recorded, almost three weeks now, uh, if I'm doing math right, which I may not be. Uh, almost two weeks, that's right. I was doing it wrong. Uh, and yeah, you know, things are going well. Just keeping busy and uh, AEW, almost like the world of MLW, it just never stops. No, it doesn't. And we have a lot, an absolute lot to talk about here today. And as you can tell, my dog's in the background. Eclair just got done with a neurology appointment where she either has meningitis or a brain tumor. And meningitis in dogs is a lot better than it is in people. So we're hoping that it's meningitis. Um, but yeah, there she's walking around and getting her bearings. And it's been a long, long day already but we're excited to record the show yeah and uh boy there it's a lot to talk about uh the news is i i put together the run sheet for the show every week and uh we nearly hit uh two and a half pages of news this week this might be the longest one i've ever done yeah this is a lot of stuff fred let's let's kick it off yeah i think we're just going to dive into the news and then talk about highlights from dynamite and collision then go away but first we got to put over that uh, our current plan is that on Tuesday, December 5th, just in case you're listening to this at some point in the future, we will be doing a show with the one and only Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, which is very exciting. We're going to be talking about a lot of things, including the Observer Hall of Fame, Observer Rewards, and uh, also just the status of AEW. But I also want to do a mailbag. Um and uh, if you're a longtime subscriber to uh, the Observer newsletter uh, slash figure for wrestling online, uh, one of the coolest things I think Dave ever did was uh, send Lamite 
which is where he would just uh, answer questions for two or three hours while Mike Sempervivi uh, asked him those questions. So what I want you to do is if you have a good question, email it to us at hungypod, that's H-U-N-G-E-E-P-O-D at gmail.com. And uh, we will do our best to ask it if it doesn't suck. That is at my uh, opinion. Sorry. Um, Don't do any fantasy booking stuff. I don't, that shit ain't interesting. Uh, but yeah, if you have any questions about the states, the state of uh, the current industry or about the history of wrestling, feel free to ask it. And, uh, you know, I'll do my best to get everyone's questions and that, it, you know, if they don't suck. Fred, I want to ask you about something before we, we get in here. Did you hear about what happened at Oklahoma State? Um, what specifically? There was a a dead Longhorn placed outside of the farmhouse fraternity house. Oh Lord! That I said did not. F U C K F H. So F farmhouse. Okay. Well, and that's it, a lot. It apparently has nothing to do with the Big Twelve title game tomorrow on Saturday. But okay. Man. Cool. <laughs> totally normal and. Uh... Acceptable behavior. Good Normal Lord. Oklahoma behavior. <laughs> God. Uh, I, I will never not make fun of Texas A&M after watching them swaying cult-like as they introduced their new coach uh, this past week. Well, at, at least he's already been at the university. Elf yeah, he's indoctrinated. It's yeah. still it's still weird. You're That's why weird. he was accepted and Mark Stoops wasn't. Because the devil you know <laughs> versus the devil you don't. Basically. Uh, once Mark Stoops does get poached by uh, someone with deeper pockets than the UK, that hold on, hold on. Why would Mark Stoops ever leave? Mark um, Stoops, no, hold on. Mark Stoops is making nine million dollars, and all he has to do is go seven and five. That's yeah, basically, it. it's a sweet deal. He's, he's, but if ever anyone ever offers him, you know, double that, then you know, you got to start. Nick thinking. Saban's making 11. Ah, it's going up. Jimbo, Jimbo money, get that Jimbo buyout money. Fucking Jimbo. Jimbo sucks. That was a, a, a hilariously bad contract when they signed it, and it's even worse now. Well, all right. Look, I'd love to talk college football. Like, seriously, I have so much. Like, my favorite college football story of the past decade has been this year's Iowa team. It is taking a lot of self-restraint to not, like, you know, sidetrack this with a half-hour discussion of just how bad their offense was. <laughs> so, because it's just <laughs> my favorite thing. I love it so much. But let's talk wrestling. I, I've got to be, uh, I got shit to do. <laughs> so, <Yes. laughs> uh, as do you. All right. So, I guess her top story of the week, there's several that are like at the same level, but I'm going to go with this one first. MJF uh, tweeted and then rather rapidly deleted, uh, but it still got out, obviously, that he's injured. He has a According to him, a torn labrum uh, apparently came when he took the top rope urinage from Jay White in the main event of Full Gear. And then uh, also he injured his hip when he did the elbow drop uh, that was supposed to go through the table, but didn't go through it because the table collapsed. And then MJF was like, well, I'll make a bad decision here. Um, Yeah, uh, that shit sucks. (laughs) Don't do uh either of those things i i guess i mean the urinage probably should have been fine just stuff happens sometimes i guess but still yeah um he's gonna work through them both of those injuries um i guess the plan is if he has to wrestle you know i guess you know either next week or the week after i forget when um when they take the mystery tag match from the devil it is next wednesday in montreal 
Quebec, Canada. Well, there you go. I guess whoever, whatever geek squad they're facing, um, him and Smojo, there's going to be a lot of smoke and mirrors. But I really hope it's the Johnsons from TNA. I really do. It'd be phenomenal. It, it would be. I would also laugh. If it was the Creepers from that disastrous 2019 Dynamite. Um, that would that would pop me. Um, so yeah, something to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, apparently, dealing with two major injuries that he's going to try to do like platelet replacement therapy for and just kind of otherwise work through. Uh, it'll be interesting to see just how much that uh, limits his ability to work. Um, uh, I think that's kind of the biggest internal AEW story. The biggest external story is, of course, CM Punk, who I will never be able to escape talking about in my entire life. Uh, he debuted for WWE in somewhat of a surprise at Survivor Series. Um and then cut a rather heartless promo on the following Raw. And I don't know if you watched that, Tyler, but I watched both the, the live version and then the one they put online. And um, and that uh, the sweetening WWE does is hilarious. And I know that AW has done some sweetening of their own, so this isn't like a sweetening bad, WWE bad thing. It was just very funny just how hard they pushed on the... Uh, the cheer boo CM Punk buttons at, at appropriate times. Um, just tickled me. That's all. Um, oh, Hold man. on. I, I have something I want to say. Yeah. <laughs> the tonal shift from Saturday night to Monday night. Oh, is yeah. Astounding. I, you know, I thought he kind of looked rough coming out, just like tired and uh, like not. This was not. Well, yeah. The, he like, had to talk to Triple H. Of course he's tired. I can see how that's straining. Um, it's for CM Punk. Um, yeah, I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see how this works. Um, you know, the last time I really watched any level of like WWE with any level of investment, I mean, I'm following their big matches this year. Um, but like, it was like 2015, and that was when the crowd was 100% like, well, not 100%, obviously, but you know what I mean. Uh, it definitely had a, a portion that was like, we're going to boo things we don't like. And it very much seems like the 2023 WWE fandom is, uh, we'll, we like what you're doing, and we will 100% play along. And uh, that's a good thing to have. That's not a criticism at all. Um, this is very interesting to watch because, you know, I, I could see in a different era, you get this much ballyhooed uh, CM Punk return with kind of a, a egg of a promo, you know, just a, a flop and uh, some crowd turning on it, but. I, I can't imagine even what it would take for to happen on screen for a WWE crowd to even a mania crowd to like turn on the product loudly. Yeah. And the big thing is all the fans and I'm not the first one to say this and I won't be the last all the fans that used to chant CM Punk at shows to take over raw. They're gone. Yeah, this I really the, do think so. So I, I guess my big question is, outside of scalping AEW, who is CM Punk for? Uh, you know, I think that this is a crowd that may not, you know, a chunk of them may not know who CM Punk is outside of like, oh, he's a bad guy because he works for the other company and we're, you know, WWE devotees. Um, but, you know, I think that that same chunk will also go along with the idea of him being a big star in uh, WWE if he's when he's presented as such and willing to go along with whatever direction they have planned. Um, I think the better question is, you know, what will he exactly offer WWE? Because to be honest, 
outside of a few matches, you know, like the Smojo match was actually like very good for you know, by CM Punk. Um, and I don't say he's like completely shot or anything, but at the same time, I think I thought it was very noticeable how he was, uh, if he hadn't outright lost a step, um, I thought that he was a hundred percent limiting himself on especially the collision matches. Um, like the multi-man tags, those were almost all set up to like give him the night off and have FTR. You know, there's three or two, three or four, I think, um, big like six or eight man tags on collision during the CM Punk era. It, it, they very much felt like let FTR do the heavy lifting and CM Punk will like come in, hit a couple moves, get a pop, and then tag out. Um, and I just think that's you know kind of fascinating and i'm going back through the, my my match ratings and like he had obviously the the all-in match was a great match um that was like four and a half stars uh four and a quarter i should say uh my big old spreadsheet um and then he had like a pretty good samoa joe match on collision and pretty good satoshi kojima singles match on forbidden door but you know i can't really say any other efforts by him were like at a superstar level. So if he's not a great worker anymore and like, you know, we all know what his version of being a great worker was and he's not, he doesn't have the, the drive in him to cut great promos. Then what does he really offer? I think that'll be interesting to watch going forward. Yeah. He doesn't, I don't really think he offers a whole lot. His biggest asset to the company was, to AEW, he was he was the genesis of AEW, and wanting real professional wrestling in this comp in the country, and wanting a change, and now um, he's just he just feels like a sellout, and I think he knows it. I think he knows that this is the last time that he'll really be able to get a big deal, a big contract. I will say TNA offered him. Dude should have went to TNA. He would have been able to do real professional wrestling and make good money. They're throwing money around now. This isn't like 2014 Destination America, Panda Energy, TNA. They want to make a splash. They want to make a big move. And they talked about on the flagship the first person to take that is going to be interesting because mm-hmm. then yeah. all of a sudden you're going to give them validity. And the second they have a little validity with what this roster currently is, it's a good roster. It's got depth. It's got talent. It's got veterans. It's got up and comers. It's not a great roster. We're not talking like 2006 at TNA where you had like peak AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels and Chris Saban. You still have Saban, but he's slowed down just a little bit. And then you had so Virgins, I know, but he's slowed down a little bit. Then you also had Samoa Joe, who's blossoming into the superstar. You had Kurt Angle coming into the company. Christian Cage. Abyss was great. Like you had so many. Like if AW would have been TNA in 2006, just imagine what that could have become. And TNA has the chance to do that again. This time, they they don't have as high end of a roster, I don't think, but it's deeper. Josh Alexander, Alex Shelley, Chris Saban's still there. 
Trinity's done wonders for the women's division. And I mean, she is an above average worker. She's not great, but the knockouts division has arguably been the strongest women's division in the entire country for a decade. They're just consistent and good. And every once in a while, they peak really high. But, Mike Bailey. Don't forget Mike yeah. Bailey. Oh, I love speedball. Speed, speedball looks like somebody you just took out of Street Fighter. And I know that's the gimmick. But you feel it. And yeah. that authenticity, it, it feels like he's a Street Fighter character. He doesn't just look the part. He feels the part. And I like that a lot. TNA could be really fun over the next couple of years. And I'm really excited to see how that manifests. Yeah. Uh, Imagine think, if, if they get Camille, because Camille's contract's done on January 1st. Look, if AEW is not throwing money at her, then I really don't know what they're doing. Give um, her whatever she wants. She has turned into a very good worker along with looking like a billion dollars. Yeah. She's physically impressive. She's got she's got like the build, the height, and she's attractive. And she's learned to talk. Which, when she was with Nick Aldis, oh, she didn't talk at all. Like, I don't know how, what her ceiling is, but it's it'd be a great add to the division. Yeah. Um, uh, now, what's a couple of interesting notes on CM Punk is he still has those NDAs, so he can't talk about certain people in AEW, uh, which you would have to imagine is at least like the Elite and Tony Khan. So... Uh, that kind of takes uh, direction out of his promos when he cuts them in WWE. Uh, he can't really do the whole, like, ah, oh, that company is bad thing um, without probably losing some money. Um, and then uh, Dave Meltzer also reported that the signing of CM Punk was a Nick Khan move with input, input from Paul Levesque. Uh, and there was no Vince McMahon involvement at all. So just a different era of WWE, which is kind of really a seismic shift in professional wrestling and also being kind of underplayed when you talk about professional wrestling in 2023. The big dig Nick strikes again. Yeah. It's about making money. That's all it he is. gives a crap about it. It's about making money. And we'll see him punk pop business. I'm concerned that he won't because of the factors we talked about. The people that loved him aren't in, aren't big fans of the company anymore. There's been a massive tonal shift in what AEW is as a company. We'll find out. Yep, something to watch. Um, uh, related to the CM Punk story, it became a big deal uh, in the news this week, I guess, uh, that Brian Danielson sat on the disciplinary disciplinary committee, excuse me, that decided to terminate CM Punk's contract. Uh, the committee was basically him and two lawyers. Um, and uh, it was apparently their recommendation to fire him. And you'd have to think that uh, if Tony Khan uh, didn't want that to happen, he would not have uh, let that happen. But, you know, it did. Um, boy, we really should, like, <laughs> there's a lot to write or talk about just specifically on its own about how the whole CM Punk situation was handled in AEW. Um, as much as I think CM Punk is annoying and uh, I think really screwed a lot of this up himself, uh, I think Tony Khan did some not-so-great uh, leadership. So, you know, all that along the way. Uh, but, yeah. Um, I want to talk about this for a second. In yeah. a vacuum... I, I understand where Tony Khan is coming from. 
I think it's a little overblown to say it's complete bad leadership. I actually think it's a net positive that he he sent it to a committee. And my oh, that, thought I wasn't process, saying I wasn't saying that part was bad leadership for the record. Okay, well, my, my here's my thought process. Tony Khan wanted to fire him. And this is this is my conjecture. So just play along. Sure. Wanted to fire him, but he knew that he needed to make sure it was the right decision for for on, on a lot of angles. So he gets a locker room leader in Brian Danielson, somebody he trusts to be level-headed and make a smart decision, which by all accounts, that's Brian Danielson, and lawyers to make sure that you're taking care of it from a business and legal perspective. No emotions attached. Just look at the facts and let's make sure that we're coming to, to a smart conclusion. I think you wanted to fire him on the spot, but going about the process and doing your due diligence, I think when you're talking about a business like pro wrestling, look, if you were my boss at Home Depot and I got in your face and was physically uh, confronting you, you're firing me on the spot it, because it's Home Depot. This yeah. is pro wrestling. There are there are slightly different levels to some of this stuff. And I'm not saying as in justification as it's okay, but it's going to be more tolerant if you like get in your boss's face in professional wrestling, considering the nature of the business, than it is at somewhere like Home Depot. And I think it's smart for Tony to look at it from a broad perspective, talk to multiple people, and get multiple people's thoughts on the, on this before coming to that final conclusion, which arguably is what he wanted anyways. And I think that's that's good leadership, even though it may not outwardly feel like it. Yeah. Yeah, my, my criticisms would be, I think, just allowing the situation to go on for so long and trying to, you know, trying to uh, bargain your way through a situation that would not work uh, you know essentially um yeah i mean i i also feel like this was kind of overblown in terms of like brian danielson's uh import to this you know i think that uh and i also think some people were like oh you know like really stupidly oversimplified this to brian danielson firing uh sam punk um obviously it's a little more complicated than that and I uh, also think uh, it's not a surprise that, uh, you know, he made that decision. Uh, it was pretty obvious at that point. I can't imagine what would, um, what could have changed, you know, to, uh, what could have occurred to make that a workable situation. And uh, I don't know, man, just kind of, kind of tough. Yep, Exactly. Well, you know, continuing on the CM Punk uh, situation discussion, uh, I'm going to skip down a little bit on my big old sheet of news. QT Marshall uh, is gone from AEW at the end of the year, uh, December 31st. Um, uh, The connection here with CM Punk is that, you know, uh, for a while QT had quite a bit of power. He was at one point, apparently, uh, according to Drew Lanza, the number two guy in AEW next to... uh, Tony Khan, and uh, it's also notable that when Collision launched basically a CM Punk show, uh, CM Punk uh, 
wanted him kept off a collision uh, and away from the show, too. Um, uh, in fact, uh, Lanza also said oh. that one of uh, Punk's ideas was to basically immediately break up uh, QTV and have Hobbs kill everyone and, uh, you know, make him a get him away from that act. So, like I've always said, Sam Punk is right about everything. And uh, he was never wrong. Fucking right about that. He was right about that. Yeah, seriously, like. I can't disagree with that opinion at all. That was basically my opinion. So, of course, it's correct. Um, but no, uh, but like uh, QT Marshall uh, was also very well like backstage. Uh, he helped people a lot with like finishes and match layout. Uh, and, um, you know, I think the guy is talented in a way. I, I, I do think you, I'm not a fan of QTV. I thought that was pretty much a failure from the start um as a creative idea i think it just flopped um but i think he's talented he's a good wrestler um he's good at being kind of that scumbag heel um remember I, when he was uh dollar store will osprey for a minute yeah that was fun uh um, gymnastics it was awesome remember like the two week period where like he owed money to <laughs> Uh, he was being extorted by the bunny, I think it was. Or was that Penelope Ford? One of the two of them. Um, it's kind of a weird storyline in early Dynamite that uh, got abandoned quickly. Um, anyways, but yeah, there's a lot of people backstage that are not happy he's leaving the company. Um, you know, and the Nightmare Factory uh, has kind of been Wally pipped by uh, Creative Pro, according to Joe Lanza again from the flagship this week. Um, and you know, but the people that trained during the, they, they were on the come up during the, the nightmare factory era, the first couple of years of AEW, and especially during 2020 and the pandemic, when a lot of people were just working there regularly, uh, I think QT, QT is a remarkably important figure to them. And I do think this, this hurts the company some backstage. Um, now there is reporting pretty consistent reporting that QT wants to be a professional wrestling star. He wants to be a guy on screen that gets a push. Um, and, you know, I just put him over. I think he's very talented. I uh, do not know where he fits. I, I just can't really see him fit in as a uh, as a TV guy, it, considering who AEW and WWE are pushing. He just doesn't really feel like a WWE guy uh, in terms of what they traditionally like. Um and, uh, you know, obviously, well, AEW, I mean, obviously was not getting those opportunities. Um, but I frankly don't know that there's too many guys on the guys, you know, too many men on their roster that I would push UT ahead of. Um, now, could he have been like a, a good, like, Ring of Honor mid-carter, you know, or upper mid-carter? Yeah, sure. I, I, could, I, I could see that. Uh, but I think really the best spot for him to end up right now, if he can get it, is Impact. I think he could be a pretty major player there and if he goes down another level to like nwa or mlw i think he could be a main eventer in either of those companies and would be a big upgrade on a lot of the talent they have there so um i don't know it'll be interesting to see what he does next um oh i did do journalism today baby's first journalism i uh i emailed qt and uh there's this quote going around from house of wrestling which kind of isn't really well expanded on but uh basically the, there is a report that he is part of why he's leaving AEW is he's unhappy with the direction of the company 
and he feels like it's becoming more New Japan-like um, without any real follow-up on what exactly that means. Um, which, this is kind of funny, and I feel like a Trevor Dame tweet really put this best for people like me who are like, yeah, I can see why you'd be unhappy with the direction of the company, and then you see the rest of the quote, which is, it's becoming too much like New Japan, and then people like me are like, huh? Uh, but I also read, and I can't recall where at this point, so I apologize for that. Uh, I've read so much crap this week. Uh, but basically, uh, it's could very well be that New Japan, uh, in this quote, is either referring to the influx of talent like Will Ospreay and Kyle Fletcher, or it could be uh, the addition of the uh, Continental Classic and uh, kind of going back to an emphasis on matches over... I don't want to call them stories, because even though that's what's how some people refer to them, but like the WWE style of storytelling of like, you know, the backstage talking segments and all that. Um, now, there is a report from Fightful Select that MOW has interest in him. I think that would be a great move for both sides there and uh, very interesting to watch. But yeah, uh, I think QT is still good and I'm interested to see what happens next with him um, and best of luck to him. Um uh, MLW or NWA, I, I really believe would both would be very smart to pick him up, and Impact would be too. I think you should go to NWA. I think you could realistically build him up to be an NWA World Champion. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, speaking of journalism, I did a journalism too, Fred. Oh yeah, I wrote an article for Voice of Wrestling. Well then. I know we'll talk about that later, but I wrote about John Moxley and why John Moxley is basically the savior of AEW. Yeah. I, I did fail to actually say what my journalism was. I reached out to QT to ask him for clarification on that statement. He said that he would be able to clarify it, not necessarily with us, after uh, December 31st when his contract expires. Um, okay. Um, Let's see. Going back up the sheet, uh, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter this week has some really inf interesting information on AEW's finances for 2023. So let's talk about that some. Uh, basically, they're expected to finish the year with uh, $170 to $175 million in revenue. Uh, that is up from last year's. Uh, his number was over $100 million. Doesn't get more specific than that, other than saying that it barely cleared that bar. So let's just assume it's like 101 or 102. Yeah. So that's like a 75% increase. You know, they they damn near doubled their revenue increase. Now the question is, did they uh, were they profitable? Which no one outside the company really knows. Um, there's you know undoubtedly some co increased costs with more pay per views and more TV shows and the cost the startup cost of starting Collision. I think those are all important factors to consider. Um, but, you know, uh, if they're not profitable right now, they may be. One important thing to consider for next year is that uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, you know, this year Dynamite is that option year from the last contract they signed. And that option year did did have a uh, escalator in terms of how much money was coming in. Uh, so that should definitely push them closer to being profitable. Uh, the current TV deal does expire at the end of 2024. Um, and, uh, one really interesting note, I think, is that Meltzer said that no pro wrestling company has come close to these revenue numbers, except for WWE basically every year since 98 and WCW in 1998 and maybe 97 and 99. Uh, so AEW is operating at basically a level we haven't seen for a non-WWE company in, uh, 25 years. 
Yeah, that rules. Um, I, I think it's important to note the profitability because we didn't know they're not getting a ton from Warner Brothers Discovery. I think the recent number reported was $44 million per year. Mm-hmm. And that, I don't know if that was including Collision or not. Including Collision, you got to think that's going to get cl- a lot closer to 60, if not more. But I think it's important that even though it doesn't include those numbers right now, uh, like a major TV deal, Tony Khan did say that he expects to finalize that major TV deal in the calendar year 2024. And that once they do, it's going to be massive for AEW. That's a big part of making sure you're profitable. That's why the NFL is so profitable. That's why the NBA is profitable. You're not going to always fill up these buildings when you go somewhere. But you know what you do have? They're paying you X amount no matter what product you put on the TV. doesn't matter if it's a great game like Eagles-Bills from last week or an absolute shit game like Patriots versus Giants. It matters that you have that TV money. And for AEW, it's going to be one of the biggest things in determining, is this going to be a successful company? Is this going to be a viable long-term option? Which we have no evidence to say that it's not. Obviously, the last few months of booking have been spotty at best. But at the end of the day, when you're making $170, $175 million in revenue without a major television deal, because I wouldn't consider the deal that they currently have with Warner Brothers Discovery as a major television deal, once they get that, all bets are off. Because if they were able to just match the $175 million in revenue, and that's their TV deal, $175 million a year, that's a very impressive mark. It's a very impressive level. And now you're talking a massive influx of cash and that that means a lot it's like a lemonade stand starting with 20 bucks and then all of a sudden dad just invests 100 bucks so you can go bake a bunch of uh, cookies and stuff for, for people to buy at while they're getting their lemonade like it matters and yeah. they're on the right track I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes obviously there are still concerns about the long-term storytelling and booking of this promotion considering how the last few months have gone under mjf's reign but business-wise, it's hard to argue anything but a massive success. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I mean, the way that uh, the industry is set up in 2023, you need that TV money to be a high-level success. And uh, once AEW gets that, because it does appear to be essentially very likely that that'll happen. Um. I think that that will make them, uh, frankly, uh, a made company, at least for the short term. Short term, You can never really tell long term. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's really exciting, I think. Uh, so that will be interesting uh, to see. Uh, two other notes tied to this that I found interesting, also both from Dave. Um, one, um, the uh, WWE actually went to Warner Brother Discovery. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, doom and gloom with certain people paying attention to things, and not unfairly, uh, about AEW's financials. Um, First of all, that, um, you know, just there's concerns about the bubble popping for sports rights to some extent. Uh, Not the big ones, but, you know, when you're on a lower level and 
you know, AEW is smaller than WWE, so it's not an unfair conclusion to wonder if they'll be able to make decent money when, uh, you know, they aren't as big as WWE. Uh, I think that's kind of a flawed assumption, but it's an assumption that's out there. Uh, but uh, Warner Brother just outright declined to negotiate with WWE. And despite the fact that, like, David Zaslav is publicly, you know, flexing like he's not going to negotiate with the NBA at all, I have to think that's a pretty positive sign for AEW that WWE wasn't even, like, talked with. Uh, now, is it really in Tony Khan's best interest to only negotiate with Warner Brother Discovery? I don't think so. Uh, you probably get more money if you shop it around some, but, you know, he obviously really values the Warner Brother Discovery relationship, and there's value in having a super safe relationship like that, as long as they keep getting, you know, increases in money. So, <clears throat> so I think that'll be, uh, that'll be something to watch uh, at the end of next year, or maybe a little earlier. Um, and the second thing that I thought was really interesting is that, you know, this actually, uh, the growth of AEW actually hurts MLW, uh, in a specific way. Uh, MLW is currently suing WB as part of their, uh, uh, and basically claiming that, uh, WB is a monopsony, uh, which is basically where a single buyer controls the market. Uh, it's similar, but different from a monopoly, um, and typically the legal threshold, not officially, but kind of officially, is that if one company controls 90% of the market share, that's a monopsony that has to be looked at uh, and possibly, you know, broken up or otherwise, you know, worked against. Um, last year, uh, according to Meltzer's numbers, uh, it was when that lawsuit was filed, actually, I should say, it was believed that WWE had a 92% market share. So over that magic 90% number. Uh, but uh, according to Meltzer's numbers, again, uh, this year that number would be closer to 80% as AEW share grows. And, um, you know, the idea that AEW's growth would hurt this lawsuit uh, by MLW just is very amusing uh, in a roundabout kind of way. Just kind of a funny trick of history, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Um, okay, more news. Good God. So I'll, uh, I'm going to talk about this uh, MLW thing because... Yeah, sure. I would love to actually get a lawyer on here to talk about it because it's a very interesting argument that MLW is trying to make because one of the genesis of their argument is the fact that they cut a deal with Reels and then all of a sudden Reels went on to Peacock and then none of their programming was allowed to air even though it was already airing on Reels. Um, that kind of pushback, I don't know if it's like libel where you have to meticulously prove six different parts in order to prove that it's libel. Whereas slander, you only have to prove five because slander is, is not a, a in the written word. It's like the rectangle square theorem. Slander is a rectangle. Libel is a square. Okay. You have to have slander with libel, but you don't have to have libel. Or, or, libel is always slander. Slander is not always libel. And I'm wondering how that theorem portrays into the idea of a monopoly because they are, and it's evident that they are pushing MLW out and not allowing them to get the airspace that they theoretically had earned that through their workings with reels and then other elements around that. But obviously AEW being successful is kind of its own thing, but it doesn't necessarily diminish 
the practices that WWE is utilizing, which I think is what MLW is actually suing about. So I'm wondering how much cross-pollination you have between the two to where it AEW success actually helps WWE in this lawsuit because it doesn't impact their business practices. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting lawsuit. Now, what's really notable, I think, uh, is always to keep in mind here is basically this uh, this case was taken up by MLW's legal team, Kasowitz Vincent Torres, uh, which is a massive legal firm uh, with nine separate offices. Like they've done a bunch of huge cases. Uh, they they basically took it up uh, without payment up front. Uh, I think basically the reporting was that they're going to get paid uh, on on the back end, you know, as part of the judgment. Um, and for for a cup for a law firm this big uh, to take that case that way, uh, I think it's very indicative that they believe that the case has merits. Um, you know, this is if you'll remember about a decade ago, there were some really rinky dink uh, concussion related lawsuits filed against WWE by a lawyer who, from the analysis I read. Uh, thought he did not do a very good job uh, on those cases. Uh, this isn't that. Um, I think that this is, uh, this, I mean, th- at least, you know, this large law firm seems to believe it has legs, and I think that means, you know, quite a bit. So It'll be fascinating to continue to watch because it is noteworthy that it passed through... Um, and is allowed to go to trial, I think, mm-hmm. is where we're I, at. Yeah, um, I believe WWE tried to dismiss, and uh, the judge rejected that motion. So uh, it does appear they're heading to trial. Yeah. All right, what's next, Fred? Uh, what's next is uh, all in Wembley. Like I said, this is a huge news week. Uh, the, all, the, they went on sale to the public today. Uh, I believe as of yesterday, they were at about 29,000 tickets sold. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see how the numbers go today. Um, it's, uh, this is, this is huge. Um, you know, it's, it's, I don't think they're going to end up selling as many tickets as last year. Uh, last year, I think they, uh, what was the big number again that, uh, Will Osprey got tattooed and then, uh, found out maybe that was just the turnstile number. And then we had a big debate about what that actually meant. Good Lord. (laughs) Um, I'm vamping here. Okay. So, uh, the official attendance, uh, as far as people going through the turnstile was 72,265. Um, the number of tickets sold was 81,035. And then Meltzer estimated that 84 to 85,000 tickets were distributed in total, including comp tickets. Uh, I don't think they're going to hit those numbers, but right now they are trying really hard to, uh, I mean, I don't know what I'm saying. Let me rephrase that. Sorry. They uh, really jacked up the prices on tickets. Um, kind of notoriously. Uh, I've seen people tweeting stuff like uh, they paid 80 pounds for a ticket last year. And that same section is now uh, 300 pounds a seat. Um, so they're they're really trying to get a lot of money off this. Uh, they have increased the numbers. And... Um, you know, before they even went public, they had sold twenty nine thousand tickets. So that's you know that's a that's a real hell of a number right there. Yeah, I think if they uh, sell sixty percent of the tickets that they did, this is me speculating, they're going to reach the same gate. Uh, last year was about getting as many people in that building and setting a record. 
yeah, they're going to try and make money. And they did make, they made a lot of money. I think the gate mm-hmm. was almost 10 million American, but it wasn't about making as much money. It was about making history and putting people in that building this year about making money. They know, they know they're not going to sell the same amount of tickets. The product isn't as hot. It's the, the novelty of it is now gone. It's not the first time you're ever running Wembley. It's not all these things about beating WWE's SummerSlam mark in 1992. There's just elements of it that are not there. Now, it's about trying to make as much money as you can per person. And I think they're going to do that. Yeah. They, I mean, you know, obviously they want to make a lot of money. And uh, even if they don't sell as many tickets, they should be able to do that. Um. I don't know. Something to keep an eye on for sure. I think they'll end up being just fine. Um, there's some. Uh, there were some predictions that it, like they get less than ten thousand tickets, and it's just like, nah, man, that's, that's not going to happen. Look, um, I, I understand being down on WWE, and there are very few people as down on WWE or sorry on AEW as you and I, Fred. We've been very down on the tone of the promotion over the last few weeks. Yeah. However, months, months. <laughs> however, come on. Yeah. You got to be realistic about it. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, just, yeah, they're, they're going to move some tickets. Um, big financial success, probably ahead for them again. Uh, but also, you know, I don't think this is really indicative of uh, AW's entrance, in, interest with fans. And uh, another thing to go back to the financials part uh, we just discussed um, is that, uh, and Tyler just had to step away for a second, is that some people in AEW, at least according to Meltzer, are arguing that that these increased financials, the increased uh, revenue, is indicative of people being critical of a drop in interest of AEW uh, being wrong, essentially. And I think that's just kind of mistaken right there. You know, you, you can't increase the number of opportunities for people to give you money and then point to that and just say oh yeah we're definitely interest is up because revenue is up like that's not a one-to-one relationship uh it's a very good sign that pay-per-view buys have not fallen but i think that uh, tv ratings are large you know they're they're down year over year and you know we we looked at that last time we talked about the dip in aw ratings versus tbs and tnt in general uh, how it's much further for AEW. i mean i i think in general you know most of aw's business indicators are down year over year, whether it be attendance or TV ratings and uh, pay-per-view buys is the uh, outs, you know, the outlier or outlier, I should say of, uh, of that. So I would not take that or the, uh, the ticket sales for this, you know, coming all in Wembley to be indicative of like no problems in AW, but, I also think that we need to be realistic that like AEW is not on death's door or anything like that. Uh, I think a lot of people have PTSD from WCW and um, this is not 2000, 2001 WCW. Uh, They're, they're definitely not in that situation. Uh, It's fair to be very annoyed with how AEW has taken some things at the same time. You have to be realistic about the business prospects of that. Uh, Another big story that I think can't be really (laughs) overstated. Uh, being the elite is done, um, according to Dave Meltzer. Now you know you know they can always change their mind and bring it back. It's a YouTube series. There's not exactly like a big investment in terms of keeping that going or or what it would take to relaunch. It, I guess I should say. 
Uh, but for now, being the elite is uh, is not coming back. And uh, I think that's very reflective of how different the Young Bucks standing in professional wrestling is from when it started. You know, they were hungry guys in the indies when it started, and now they're guys that are made in a uh, major American professional uh, wrestling uh, company. And just very uh, noteworthy. Um, you know, I do think that the quality of the show has dropped markedly over the past two years. Uh, their attempts to make new people really fell off. They kind of just weakly went with uh, like Ryan Nemeth and uh, and uh, the librarians, which wasn't exactly, we're not talking about Marty Skrull here, or even Flip Gordon. <laughs> um, but yeah, now they are running in its place being the Dark Order. Uh, if that first uh, episode is indicative, uh, I may not watch the second. <laughs> um, kind of stunk. I think the magic of uh, the magic of uh, Johnny Hungy and all that is kind of gone. Um, but yeah, um, big uh, sea change there in the history of AW. Yeah, I, I like that it's changing, and I think it's good that it's changing. But with change, sometimes comes frustration. Uh, it can be sad. Uh, it's not always good, but things evolve, and you just kind of, kind of, kind of go with it. And I'm just glad we never have to watch the librarians again. They seem like good in- humans. Yeah, I'm not burying them as people. Shit. Uh, I, I kind of like, you know, Peter Avalon as a worker. Leva Bates seems like a lovely person. Um, Peter Avalon's a good job guy. Very yeah, good job guy. He's a good job guy. I actually gave him like three and a half stars. Uh, no, that was, uh, sorry, that was Michael Nakazawa that teamed with uh, Brandon um, in that one squash match. But I mean, like, Avalon's a perfectly fine jobber for where AEW is right now. Um, I feel like the librarian's gimmick just was dead on arrival, unfortunately. Um, oh, I probably should. <laughs> Tyler, I have so much more news to go through. We can't. Sh- <laughs> we are 48 minutes in and I'm not even halfway through. Good God. Um, uh, Katsuyori Shibata had to basically emergently go back to Japan. I'm not entirely sure why. Um, so he, that's why he lost his pure championship to Wheeler Yuta on Rampage last week with Minimal Build. Um, gotta I, think I, it had something to do with. Family or, or his visa. visa. Yeah. I, I would bet visa first. Uh, hopefully everything's fine with his family. Um, and if it's visa, then hopefully they'll be able to uh, take care of that, you know, relatively quickly. Um, I just saw this uh, just pop up, uh, Tyler. Uh, the Fresno State uh, football coach is stepping away due to health concerns. Uh, Jeff Tedford. So, still Yeah, I, I had seen that. Um I hope I hope everything's okay. Yeah. It, it also they also weren't specific how long he was stepping away for. Oh. If this was permanent or just for the bowl game. Yeah. Um, anyways, um, I just saw that and had to share that. Okay, full gear buys. Uh, per Meltzer, you know, with Thanksgiving, those numbers are going to be disrupted some, but early numbers seem to indicate it's going to be somewhere between 122,000 and 144,000, which would be up from a Wrestle Dream, which looks like it did 110,000. So that's about a, you know, a 10 to 30% jump right there. Um, it, so l- let me say this. 
Fred, yeah. it feels like it's down year over year from full gear. But when you put Wrestle Dream in the middle, and it, let's say, I, I want to say if it reached 144, four, full gear would have been down about 15 ish thousand. That feels about the right number. Well, you replace that 15,000 with 110,000. And adding that extra pay per view may have trickled down and taken away some of the full gear buys. Yeah. But you still get a significant amount more buys. And that's the thought process behind having more pay-per-views. Yeah, it ends up being profitable. There has been no point in the history of professional wrestling or UFC or or boxing or whatever where adding pay-per-views or increasing the prices of pay-per-views is a negative to your overall business. You may get less buys, but the increased revenue, uh, whether it be from a higher price tag or from more shows, uh, benefits you in the long run. Um, We saw that even going back to when... WWF and WCW moved on from like their three or four shows a year to like monthly ones. And uh, when they moved on from like, you know, WWF moved on from their mini pay-per-view in your house uh, idea at a lower price tag to just full-fledged pay-per-views. Those all worked. And people always said, people will not pay for this. And you saw this into, you know, the past 10 or 20 years where people said, no one will pay these increased prices for UFC pay-per-views or no one will buy UFC pay-per-views if they're put behind the ESPN paywall. And it's been wrong every time. Um, Mm -hmm. And we have not, at at some point, you know, you are going to charge too much for a pay-per-view. If you charge 500 bucks for a pay-per-view, you may not make money. Uh, like you would at the current price tag levels, but we have not, we do not have evidence at this point in time that what that point is. All right. Uh, ratings. Uh, God, we're just, I don't know how much time we're going to have to talk about these shows, but here's the ratings. Uh, dynamite this past Wednesday, 858,000 overall 0.29 demo. That's their best rating since the start of the NBA season back in October. Uh, collision 317,000, a 0.09 demo that is their worst rating ever in their normal Saturday time slot. Uh, of course, that ran opposite Survivor Series, which just killed it dead. Uh, and then Rampage, which was moved off its usual time slot to lead into Collision, did a worse 264,000.08 demo. Um, that is its lowest overall rating and third lowest demo in the show's history. The only demo numbers that are worse were from other nights off the usual night. Um, yeah. Um, you know, I, you know, I don't want to read too much off of one offs here, but I think that the collision and rampage numbers are just a continuation of how, uh, the, the thing that hurts AEW the most right now is, uh, is WWE if they run opposite each other. And uh, both of those numbers from last Saturday are tough. They're, they're, they're not good. I will say, I, I think the Dynamite number is good. Um, the Collision or Rampage numbers, uh, whatever. Whatever. Like, it's so hard because of what Collision or Rampage are, are dealing with with their time slot. When you move it, it's a killer. Just look at what happens to SmackDown when it goes to FS1. Dynamite beats SmackDown on FS1. Yeah. It, it's unfair when you're talking about moving time slots. It's not a permanent move. It was a permanent move. Then we could have a better conversation. It's a temporary move. You can't judge on that kind of one-off. It's just, no, it's fine. Is it great? No. 
whatever. I think you just move on. And when you move it, the network understands there's going to be a dip. You understand there's going to be a dip and you just hope it doesn't crater. And honestly, that, that collision number, like, yeah, the collision was in its normal time slot, but it, you're going against Survivor Series and and uh, premium live events have been known to just crush AEW because there's enough, there's a lot of crossover. You know, would you rather watch Collision or Survivor Series War Games? Most people are going to say, I'm going to watch the PLE because it's War Games. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm saying that's just your reality. Like, I, I don't love it. I don't like it. And it's also one of the reasons why I would try not to be your competition and try to be yourselves. Because I bet you, if you were just AEW, number is probably 400. A 25% increase. Just by doing the shit that you were real good at when you started the company. Yeah. Um, it's... Uh... I do think that the collision number is meaningful since it was their usual slot. Um, I do think that they get hurt by WWE um, by their shows uh, when they run head to head. And, you know, that's it. Um, Not much else to it, I think. Uh, Let's see. What is next? Okay, let's do some uh, quick hitters here. All right. Matt Hardy on his podcast said that he is very frustrated with how the Hardys are being used and he thinks they have more to offer to the promotion. Do you? Do you really have more to offer, Matt? And I don't uh, mean this insulting. They're just, for lack of a better term, they're washed. I, you know, for a company like AEW, with, which is really built around high, uh, high level uh, matches, I just don't know where uh, the Hardys fit in. You know, I think uh, their last couple of six-man tags I've watched with uh, Brothers A, man, Brothers A is, I think he's quite improved, actually, and is doing some heavy lifting to make those matches watchable. Um, I think he's, uh, he's a hell of a worker. Uh, he's a hell of a seller, at least. And, uh, you know, I, I think he's improved quite a bit from 2019, so good on him. Hey, that's a transition point. Uh, SRS, uh, Sean Ross Sapp, has reported that Mark Quinn may be back in action soon. He was seen backstage. Uh, and he also mentioned the same report that Thunder Rosa is ready to go. She's just waiting on creative. Um, maybe that creative can be uh, the end of Timeless Tony. Uh, okay, so Serena Deeb. That's <laughs> Mariah May's job. Uh, I, I worry about how long that's going to take. Um <laughs> All right, next, uh, Serena Deeb has been cleared to return. Uh, she was out due to unprovoked seizures, which is pretty damn scary. Uh, now, there were reports that some there, she, something played a role there with drama with her uh, backstage that she had apparently uh, gotten into some arguments or something. Uh, I forget the exact details at this moment. Uh, but, you know, I certainly hope that her uh, health has improved, and uh, frankly, she could help out this women's division. So I'm Seizures are scary, to. man. They I are. Mean, I'm, I'm dealing with it with my dog. My best friend has epilepsy. I, I wish her all the best. The easy part about seizures is they can be controlled. The tough part about seizures is figuring out how to control them. Yeah, that is... You gotta... What triggers the seizure is so different from person to person or animal to animal. We were lucky enough where all of Claire's blood work came back clean. Like, oh, that's great. Oh, wait. How do we know what's causing them and how can we fix it? Well, we went to a neurologist. And we're hoping it's not the brain tumor. 
but like that's the tough part. Like you can be on medications and cycle through and it takes a long time because you have to be on them for a while to really figure it out. And I mean, my best friend's been living with it for 13 years. It then they eventually they figured out, Oh, post-college eat a good diet and get enough sleep. You idiot. That's basically what he has to do. Yeah. When you have two kids, that can be hard, but he's got a pretty great wife and they yeah. make it work. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, on top of that, uh, when you're starting a new uh, medication for seizures, you have to wait for them to taper to the right level and, you know, hope that you pick the right ones. It's, uh, it's really tough to control all of that. Um, uh, moving on, uh, a couple notes on Sammy Guevara. First of all, he has been cleared to wrestle after his concussion. And he is also a father. He and T. Mello are welcomed a baby girl to the world on November 28th. So congratulations to them and uh, congratulations to Sammy on getting cleared. Uh, next note, Bandito will need a second surgery due to his arm not healing properly from the first one. Now, I did just see a tweet from Bandito indicating that there is a possibility that therapy is an option on the table. So I think he's going to try that first and see if he can avoid the second surgery. Uh, hopefully he will be able to return soon. Uh, he's awesome. Yeah, um, Bandito rules, man. I hope he's okay. It would be Next. a net benefit for him to come back healthy. For sure. Uh, it'd be nice if we could get a luchador in like a p- truly pushed position, but, you know, AEW. Uh, Chuck Taylor, he is out of action right now. It's believed to be due to a foot injury. Uh, I don't know if you saw his partner Trent Beretta's uh, te- uh, singles match, I should say, New Japan against Shingo Takagi uh, at the last uh, strong show they did last month. It ruled. Uh, four and a half stars. Recommend that to check it out. Uh, there are no plans for Ronda Rousey to work in AEW or Ring of Honor again right now. That was not like the start of a contract or anything. It was basically a one-off. She just happened to be there. Tony Khan was like, hey, you want to work? And she was like, yeah, sure. So she basically did a <laughs> tag match with her friend uh, Marina Shafir. And uh, hey, th- there you go. That, and that's also why it was on Ring of Honor and not on TV. It was just like a little like, yeah, you know, oh, uh, that sounds like fun. I'll do it. So, hey, I, I wonder if it'll lead to anything because you know what? If if Rousey's going to put in as much effort as she did in that tag match and, and at Wrestling Revolver, she might be worth bringing in. And you don't have to have her as like a full full time, but you bring her in for a few like four to six week storylines uh, here and there. I, I think there's a benefit to having Ronda Rousey on the roster. I. I I really don't know what her max peak is because she really wasn't valuable at all in her last WWE stint. But she was such a big difference maker. But she, we're now what, seven years removed from her at the end of her UFC run. Like that's a long time. Yeah. But either way, she's a capable enough worker, and especially if and if you structure those matches right, they can be very very good to great. And. She may be a benefit to have on the AEW Women's Division. Yeah. Um, yeah, something to keep an eye on. Uh, Sandy Hook actually happened. Um, let's see. Sting's retirement match is going to be a revolution on March 3rd, which will be at Greensboro Coliseum, uh, which is famously the site of the 1988 Ric Flair and Sting 45-minute uh, draw, which they did a whole segment about on Dynamite. Uh, but Fun yeah. fact. Mm-hmm. In the building at Dynamite, nobody saw that. They didn't play that vignette. Oh, right. Yeah, you, you were know telling what me they about did? that earlier. 
they did it live for the crowd. So that that was that was kind of cool. Um, Interesting. I will say, I think it was Chris Zellner who was disappointed that it was in Greensboro and thought it should have been in Baltimore. What did, what's your take on that? I mean, if I were to pick a different market, it would have been Atlanta just because of the WCW connection. I get where he's coming from with Baltimore because that was an important part of, uh, you know, the late 80s, mid-Atlantic slash not quite WCW, but, you know, that transition period. Um I just don't think it's like modern day. I don't think the connection is as strong um, as, uh, you know, otherwise. So uh, we're getting down to the crumbs here. Uh, AEW has filed to trademark East West Express, which is the tag name of Jordan Oliver and Nick Wayne on the Indies. This is notable because I believe, according to Sean Ross Sapp, Oliver wasn't aware of that filing until he was asked about it. Womp womp. Um, if I were him, I would oppose that, and I think you would be able to uh, to win that pretty easily, but to be seen. Uh, just something to keep an eye on. Um, uh, just a random note uh, in response to some completely random person trying to push a report that uh, Chris Jericho and John Moxley were soon going to jump to WWE, which is some extreme wish casting there sean ross sap tweeted that both are signed through 2027 so <laughs> no <laughs> all right and then uh upcoming match matches announced uh, for rampage tonight we have uh a squash by the uh don Callis family to hobbs and fletcher we have a eight-man tag uh the best friends of jason trent orange cassidy hook and dan Housen against evil uno alex reynolds matt menard and angelo parker uh we have a six woman tag soraya ruby soho and anna J against chris detlander hikaru shida and sky blue aka the only women's wrestlers in <laughs> aw seemingly at times uh and then uh we have a little tune-up, uh, which could be awesome if they give it any time at all. Uh, we have uh, Pentagon, uh, or Pinta, or Pinta El Zero Miedo, or Pinta M, or whatever name he has, uh, along with Hijo Del Vikingo and Commander against Brian Cage, J.D. Drake, and Anthony Henry. If that was given 18 minutes at an indie show, that would rock. Um, I, I will say it did rock. It did was they get fun. any amount of time at all? Ah. Uh... It felt like it was like 12 to 15 minutes. Cool. It, it felt like it got substantial time. It was good. fun. It was good. The guys behind me, when I was at, in the building, I'd never seen Vikingo. They were yeah. like, holy shit, what is that? <laughs> like they were, they were blown away. And I looked at him like, oh, is this your first time seeing Vikingo? They're like, yeah, who is that guy? I'm like, he's Rey Mysterio Jr., but modern day. He's, yeah. He's breaking the mold. Like, like the um, shooting star press, like, uh, uh, Hurricanrana, I think yeah. he did that. Oh, um, no, it was that match I recommend. I recommend, the. I believe it'll be the opener, Best Friends and um, Danhausen and Hook against uh, Dark Order and 2.0. That was good. Everything in the middle is very skippable. Um, the women's match did have some advancement with the outcast, like a little storyline they have going on with Saray and Ruby Soho. Um, okay, but it's not really, you don't really have to watch it. Other than that, it, there was some tension between Statlander and Sky Blue, I thought it was noteworthy, but whatever. Uh, the Don Callis family that was a fun little squash, 
Um, yeah, but I would recommend the opener in the main event. Definitely cool. worth your time watching. Um, everything else in the middle, yeah, whatever. Fair yeah, good little hour of wrestling television. Like nothing was bad. It it's That's just good. I would go out of your way to see the Workhorsemen and Brian Cage versus the Luchadors. That was fun as hell. But it's also a match if you've been watching wrestling for like we do for a long time, you've seen it before. It's still fun to watch like Vikingo and JD Drake. Oh yeah, that sounds like an awesome matchup. JD Drake um, looks like a, a farmer from a town of 214 people in the Midwest. He'd find at the local bar drinking his weight in old Milwaukee at 5 p.m. on a Tuesday. Uh, but you know what? The dude can work and he shockingly moves well. Yeah, he's he's a I, I just wish he was like 10 years younger. I think he really uh-huh. could have had a run somewhere, and it's a shame that he, you know, like Evolve was where he's ha- topped out at, you know. Um, should have been a, a TV guy uh, on a bigger level, I should say. Collision announced for tomorrow, of course, are the uh, C2 matches. Uh, I'm going with Africano Classic. Uh, Eddie Kingston, Brian Danielson, which I am hyped for. Uh, Claudio Castagnoli and Brody King, which could also be awesome. And Andrade versus Daniel Garcia, which could also be awesome. So here's hoping that those uh, three all deliver. And hey, look at me structuring things so we can transition. Let's talk about the Continental Classic. Uh, what do you think of it so far? Look, it, this feels like um, the dog days of the G1. Like, night eight and Bipu. Like, it, it's good wrestling. There's been nothing bad. Um, I My favorite match was Roosh and Mark Brisk. Go, oh, I went four and a half minus. Um, Swerve and Jay White also went four and a half minus, but I preferred the first one better. They just beat the living shit out of each other. And they went, They did high spots. They did all kinds of cool stuff. And then Roosh just beats his ass. I, I thought it was so good. Um, the styles are different. It's fun. It's just good, solid wrestling. And nothing's been elite. You're missing some of the real tippy-top guys, which, and I understand why, hey, you know, it's not, a, it's not perfect. It's not exactly a G1. But it's also American television wrestling. I think for what they're trying to accomplish, this is very good. And I love, absolutely love that a guy like Jay Lethal is in there. Uh, Because one, you can just beat him like a drum. And two, he feels like a credible threat to win every match. Because he is a good, solid worker. And he has a fire pro wrestling creative moveset. (laughs) He really does. He He does does, cool stuff. I, I thought the match with Moxley was awesome. It was fun. It was different. Yeah, I I really really enjoyed this tournament so far. Yeah, it's been uh, pretty great. Um, I have gone notebook, low level notebook, the notebook all the same. I think four times by now. Um, I thought the uh, uh, what is my favorite from it so far? Um, I thought the main event from Dynamite, the first one last week, uh, was a good one uh mox and uh mark briscoe i thought that was, that hit four stars on an other right otherwise kind of dire show uh i went four and a quarter on brody and eddie i thought that just kind of ruled just these guys beating the shit out of each other i did go four and a half on briscoe and roosh and uh i also i went four and a quarter on white and swerve so i think those those four like not we're not talking match of the year candidates here we have yet to get really one of those uh, but I think all of them have been like, hey, uh, pretty damn fun. And uh, 
uh, nothing to uh, sneeze at. You know, I do think there's another level here. Uh, I think, you know, basically anytime Danielson gets in the ring is a potential for, you know, that level of match and we will see what comes of it. But I do think this has been a good start. Um, I think I they are. Say, I don't think we're, we're going to get a match the year kind of match. Really? I I don't I don't think so. I don't think with it with it being on American television, I just don't think that they're gonna peak that high. And only because they're on American television, not because of the participants. I just think it limits you too much. Yeah, on, but AEW has had uh Bachelor of the Year candidates on TV. I mean, hell, one of my top five matches now, but uh, at one point a serious contender for match of the year. Uh, actually, I still um, number three or four for me is uh, Vikingo and Omega from Dynamite back in March. I mean, yeah, but look at what it didn't have limitations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they wrestled through a couple commercial breaks, but they did the picture in picture and they didn't have a time limit. Like, I, I just think how the Continental Classic is structured, it's just not conducive to a match of the year contender. And that's, that's, I'm not using it as an insult. I just think oh, it's yeah, a reality. Sure. I think it makes it harder. I, I don't want to like poo poo what you're saying, but I, I do think that it's possible. Um, it's just not easy. Um, but yeah, I mean, that'll be fun to watch. I think uh, fun to see if anyone can hit it. And, you know, I 100% believe in Danielson. So I do think if you're going to have one, it'll be the final. That's going to be the one that's going to top out. Yeah, I mean, once you get to the pay-per-view, you know, I think those concerns are gone because I imagine both will be without time limits. You won't be doing just the uh, 20-minute, you know, to, you know, limit. Uh, but, yeah, uh, these could be really – there could be some really fun stuff coming up, and I, I hope they get to that level. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, I guess we kind of ran through that pretty quickly. Um, we're all, hour 15 in. Um, do you have any other thoughts on TV from the past week? Because I didn't get to watch Rampage. Uh, I do want to bury some stuff from Collision last week. Um, I'll let you do that because I'm gonna be honest, I only caught bits and pieces of Collision. Um, this is this week is probably my busiest of the year because college football championship weekend is this weekend. Last weekend was um rivalry weekend vikings played on monday night and then now it's a bye week so i'm scrambling to get a bunch of stuff uh kind of handled there so collision is not something i i caught a lot of um but i will say i went six one and one against the spread last week baby you would have if you would have bet all my plays you would have made a bunch of money nice um well okay here's here's the good and the bad from collision in my opinion um Claudio and Daniel was disappointing. Uh, Daniel Garcia, I went three and a three and a half on that, uh, and that's like if I did the plus minus thing, it probably would have been three and a half minus. Uh, I, you know, for for this whole Daniel Garcia, you know, needs to become a wrestler storyline to really work out. Like I think you got to have got to hit some higher notes than that. And I think between that and his kind of lackluster match with MJF, uh, he's I'm hoping he steps it up. Uh, I know he's great. I love him. I think he's a fantastic worker, but he's got to do it. And uh, this Claudio match, while fun and good, uh, was not at that high level that you would hope for him to be at. Um, uh, uh, Two other things I want to talk about real quick. 
um, one, um, Gravity had maybe the worst televised performance in a while. Um, it feels like every single move he did, he botched. It was just, it was really rough. Um, and, uh, you know, they progressively got worse. Uh, meanwhile, Commander is just like busting out crazy moves and hitting them all. So it kept, it, Commander kept the match from being a total disaster on their side of the thing. And I mean, Buddy Matthews and Malachi Black were solid. Uh, you know, they did good stuff. But Gravity just like, he tried to do some, uh, there was one thing in particular that was called as a jawbreaker out of a suplex or something. And that was, uh, that was a very generous attempt to cover by the announced team. Uh, really bad. Um, AW tried to air the promo hyping, uh, the return of Dante Martin. And, uh, in the just in the middle of it, an ad starts playing for the NBA in season tournament. <laughs> Cutting it, cutting it completely off. And then when they get it back, so it's just Dante Martin wandering on screen before he can really say anything. Uh, they just play a commercial on top of it. So completely ruined that. Uh, they replayed that later in the show, but it kind of killed the whole, wow, Dante Martin's coming back surprise aspect. And then um, there was an underwhelming FTR Righteous match, which should not have been because those teams are good. And I was actually pretty excited for that. But they... Uh, Dax blew a springboard spot pretty bad. And then, um, you know, just some other, you know, messiness in there involving, I think, uh, Dutch and Dax. Uh, just not a great night. Um, but then this is a Big Bill podcast. And Big Bill cut a promo. And honestly, look, if you told me three years ago that Ricky Starks and Big Bill would be in a tag team and they would do a promo segment where Ricky Starks did, basically didn't talk any and it would be awesome because Big Bill's great, I would not have believed you, but that's what happened on this show. And Big Bill is a big talker and a big star. This ruled. If you haven't checked this out, take the time. Uh, I, big uh, Bill. Big Bill. You know what? We, we're, 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 we're still offering spots on here, man. On the big yeah. bill uh, bandwagon. You know what we need to do? Um, we need to call up our our good buddy Dave Meltzer and have him bring on Big Bill with him. Let's let's make them a tag team. Call him the call him the San Jose uh, Jose New York Pipeline. There you um, go. Yeah. <laughs> big Bill, if you Smooth. ever listen to this, we want to have you on the show and and praise your genius in the ring. Just he's just a great worker, man. He's doing fantastic right now, and. Uh gotta love him gotta love big bill um let's see i think that's uh there's a good adam copeland promo on here though he did get dangerously close to going to that place uh keith lee cut you a know good what promo. i was okay with going to i was that okay place. with it yeah, you know it, why you know why and it, it relates back to the article that i wrote for voice of wrestling earlier this week it was authentic yeah it was real it he wasn't never said bullshit. he was going to that place, which it feels was, very WWE. It was very genuine. It yeah. felt like you were listening to Adam Copeland, and you weren't listening to some derived bullshit character. You were listening to the man. And you know what? If he goes to that place where he gets that annoyed and frustrated and pissed off, and he gets a little bit um, animated, I'm okay with that. You know why? It's real. That matters to me. It felt authentic and real. And if you can yeah. do that, you can get away with a lot of things. Yep. 
Uh, but I thought this was a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, you know, not a perfect show. I think uh, a couple good promos really carried the in-between segments, but I did like the opener a little bit and love the main. And then we got to... Uh, Got to uh, Dynamite, and uh, Brian Danielson uh, is fantastic on commentary. He's uh, he's so good. Um, and uh, I really liked his interplay with Eddie Kingston after uh, Eddie, you know, they showed Eddie's promo where he doubted himself after losing to Malachi. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought that was great, and I'm really excited for their match. And they need to start doing that stuff. They need to start having people cut promos on each other to hype these matches. They need to start uh, building them up more. And, um, yeah. And this week we even had a, a good MJF segment, I have to say. You know, it wasn't great, but it was good. And it was uh, just, there was no ha-ha bullshit. There was no uh, screaming at him, uh, and there it was no Adam Cole. Real, it felt real authentic. It felt like you were listening to MJF again and yeah. not what MJF wants to be. It felt like you were listening to him. And authenticity is going to be the thing that saves this company and moves it in the right direction. Guys like Moxley, the old MJF before all this derived bro chacho bullshit. Samoa Joe. Is there anybody more authentic in the history of pro wrestling than Samoa Joe? Mm, not very many, not recently. At John least. Moxley. Maybe. They're on the same level. They are yeah. as authentic as they come. You believe they're going to beat your ass. They're scary looking. They're legit tough guys. And they're going to beat the piss out of you. Yeah. Now, it, when Samojo wins that belt at uh, World's End, his first defense needs to be against John Moxley. Or, or his first pay-per-view defense. You know why? Oh, God. How great would that be? The John Moxley great. versus Samoa Joe match. I did see somebody uh, opining that Samoa Joe versus Sting should be Sting's final match. I mean, I, I get it, but I feel like you should put try and put somebody over. I do think it would be kind of cool for Sting to win on his way out, but I also think it would be kind of cool for Darby to beat him. You gotta have Darby beat him. I think Sting has never lost in AEW. Yeah. He, There's a reason why they, they mentioned it. Um, I don't know if they mentioned it on the pre tape, but they mentioned it in, on Rampage. This thing is 24 and 0 in AEW. Tags. I don't. Th- I don't know if he's had a singles match. He might have had one or two. But in tags, yeah, 24 and 0. Yeah. Uh, Sting rolls. Um, and I thought Dante Martin looked really good in his return. Um, oh, he looked great. Yeah, uh, I'm excited to see what he does. I think he can really be a star. Um, and, uh, the last big thing I talk about, I think here is, uh, Christian Cage and Adam Copeland putting on so good. a great segment. Um, <laughs> it was so good. Um, it's something to watch for the next month, you know, as we're finalizing re- awards and everything. And I'd love to do that at some point in the next month plus with you. Um, uh, is Christian you know your- do? We should do our own, like, um, the like a show wrestler of the year poll. Okay, sure, we can do that. Um, I was going to ask you though, is Christian your interview of the year? Top three for sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if he's one. Um, the, the only guy I would 
pause and think about, I think, is uh, that that's, has done enough of them. Um, it's probably John Moxley. I think Eddie Kingston disappeared a little bit too much. I think Osprey. Mojo. Uh, yeah, Osprey is not bad. It, it, not sometimes bad. it's hard to think about him for interview of the year. Because because so of much what, so, yeah, because of the style, so much of what they do backstage. As the uh, dogs rise up in rebellion against uh, yeah, Tyler. It's it's a Claire. She's she so with her uh seizures and stuff, they think it's meningitis, and then she she like tilts her head and like walks oh, up yeah. with walls and bats into stuff. She just knocked over the baby gate blocking the downstairs. Oh she's okay. okay. But okay. yeah, it's that that's why you've heard some noises. I apologize, but I, I can't leave her alone down here without worrying about her. So as as a longtime uh shutdown full cast fan, um audio quality is uh is optional <laughs> it's kind of always been my stance because my brain's been poisoned by that stupid show um uh but yeah um i, I love that segment i thought it was a nice counterpoint to the you know now infamous christian cage fuck you segment uh the fact that they miss censoring adam copeland saying it perfect loved it um not intentional but very funny um yeah, uh, any other, since you were there in person, you know, Tyler, do you have any thoughts from this Dynamite that we didn't talk about already? So I've I've been to two, Odie, be quiet. Yeah, there you go. Let dad talk, okay? Um, I, oh, nope, he's going to keep barking. Dad's um, cooking. Odie, calm down. You're just barking at your sister, you idiot. Um, I do love my dog, I promise. Um <laughs> If I, I'd only been to two AEW shows in Minnesota before. All right. You know what? This is just too much. I'm going to have to throw something at him um, because to he's him. just being an Odie. To him, surely. Well, it was it was a soft plush egg, <laughs> um, like an Easter egg. Um, so I've been to Full Gear, and I, I bit, went to All Out 2021 and 2022. But then the only Dynamite I had attended was Quake at the Lake. That wasn't a real Dynamite. It was like quasi pay-per-view. You had Brody King and Darby in the coffin match to open the show. The main event was Lionheart versus John Moxley with CM Punk's return. Like that wasn't a real dynamite. This this was a dynamite. And you know what? The crowd was hot. There was like this 40-year-old dude uh, yeah, screaming out Adam and yelling at, at wrestlers. He was yelling at Jay White that he sucked. People around him were just laughing. It was entertaining, but it was fun. As Odie keeps borking because he he also likes to yell at Jay White. Um, Who doesn't? But yeah, it was it was a good crowd. Um, wasn't super full. I'd probably say around forty five hundred in the building. Um, they had it, the entire top um, draped off, but I could only buy like one ticket when I went to go buy tickets because I was supposed to get a media ticket, but it fell through. Mm-hmm. Odie, enough, bud. You're gonna get dinner. Yep, you're gonna get dinner in a minute. Yeah, there you go. Um, and yeah, it ended up being a great seat, had a great time. Um, rampage was actually good because the quake at the lake rampage was the worst rampage they'd ever done. It was so bad. Um, as my dogs <laughs> knocked something else down, um, just, oh boy, it's, it's chaotic time, uh, post, uh, neurology appointment, let me tell you. But yeah, um, it was good. Um, they, everybody kept saying, restore the feeling. I left feeling better about this company than I had in a long time. 
It felt like an old school dynamite. It had good wrestling, th- like three matches that were either in the notebook or borderline notebook. And you know what? Emmy Sakura and Julia Hart was pretty good. And yeah, I, I, I got to say this Julia Hart is a future star. She gets it. She gets it. The little things, the mannerisms, uh, soaking up the crowd. Cause she's a Minnesota girl. She is, she's one of us. I don't know how it came across on TV. She got a tremendous pop when her music hit and she came out. Everybody was behind her. And it was awesome. Um, her work is improving. It's still sloppy, but she's what, 22? Yeah, she's ridiculously young. She's a baby. So she's 22 years old and she's this over and her character is so good. Imagine what's going to happen when she figures everything out and puts it all together. This could be a real superstar down the line in the business. I'm intrigued to see what happens with her. Yeah. Uh, I think she could be a huge star. And it's just a matter of growth and time, I think. So, well, uh, anything else you want to talk about from this past week of TV or AW or, you know? Um, I think I want to talk about my article quick. Um, oh, John, sure, Moxley's, yeah. John Moxley's the savior of AW. Um, it really hit me when he came out. And what, where this company needs to shift, especially that CM Punk promo on Raw. Nothing about that was authentic. Nothing about that was real. It was uh, somebody wrote it for Voice of Wrestling. I think it was Fort St. Dennis who who was um, who's been writing for us for a little bit. Corporate money. Corporate money. Punk. It's, yeah, it's all it is is a money grab. And you know what? Good for Punk. Like you, if you can get paid that much money, go get paid that much money. But it. You look at his promo from Rampage when he debuted. That felt real. Authentic. You're going to hear that a lot from me over the the next few weeks. Authenticity needs to be the focus of this company moving forward. Bar none. It starts with John Moxley, Eddie Kingston, Samoa Joe, old MJF. MJF is not a lost cause. Mm -mm, What he's doing is a lost cause. But you can get him back. And you know what? It was a start on Wednesday. The, we've seen this before where you pop off and they hear the criticism, have one really good week, and then they fall back. Do it again. Do it a third time. Do it a fourth time. Go into that pay-per-view and kill it. This group has a real chance, Fred, to make a difference, and authenticity will be the key to unlocking whatever future AEW has. Because if you can continue to stay authentic and real, it's going to separate you from the bullshit in the other company. Because you know what? Cartoonish stuff works for some people. I even, even will admit cartoonish stuff will work in AEW. Like the Swerve's House stuff, I think it's a little stupid. You know what? It works. Who cares? And Swerve is over like a mother. He is so over. Maybe it was just the dichotomy of him versus Jay White. The entire building wanted him to win. I Even think, though he's a heel. Like, I think he baby-faced himself a little bit with that page match. But, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I, I, it, we, it's a discussion for another time. The path of JT, or, I'm sorry, of uh, Swerve Strickland to... Uh, to babyface star and if it's possible and what it would take. I mean, it is possible, but um, yeah. Uh, 
interesting stuff. Um, for sure, just thinking about the the future path of him. Yeah, it's uh, authenticity is the key. Yes. Be authentic. And if AEW does that, the sky is the limit. Because you know what was real and why AEW is so great initially? Great matches. Great in-ring stories. Not contrived bullshit. Not logic gaps. Look, we got frustrated with some stuff here and there. But the core and the heart of AEW was always great wrestling with authenticity. Yeah. Get back to that. The sky's the limit. Make it happen, Tony Khan. They need to do it. Uh, they need to that that those two things need to be their central tenets, and I think that's really what set them apart initially and helped them become popular, uh, like far beyond what people expected in twenty nineteen. Uh, and I think they need to stick with that. I mean, you can work around that to some extent for sure, but I don't think you can abandon that. And I feel like that's been the biggest issue with the Perichacho storyline is they kind of moved away from it, and uh, I think that's just you know not viable. Um, hey, Fred, I, I want to read this to you before we go. Um, because uh, in, in college football, you get the extra year of eligibility due to COVID 19, right? And you'll get this because you and I are around the same age. College el- eligibility is the new Columbia House CD deal. <laughs> That's good. That is, that, is that is a good joke. That is, that is a very shout good out, joke. uh, NFL scout. Uh, draft scout Emery Hunt. That guy rules. That's a good one. Um, All right. Well, I think that's about it for the day. Uh, Do you want to note before we go? One, don't forget the Dave Meltzer interview. Uh, Again, you can email us questions. Hungiepod, H-U-N-G-E-E-P-O-D at gmail.com. You can also drop them in our Discord channel where I just also posted my two date top 100 wrestlers on the year. Um, which uh, I've been updating every week or so uh, for the past couple months. And also today is World AIDS Day. So, uh, you know, uh, think about that some, I guess. All right. The way um, you said it's World AIDS Day? Yes, AIDS Day. World AIDS Day. Uh, hey, you, you know what? The, the One of the best ways to um, try and stop the um, pandemic of AIDS, or mm-hmm. the epidemic, I mean, Um Help infrastructure in Africa. One of the reasons why so much of this, of these medications stuff can't get to the people, the infrastructure in the country, in, sorry, the continent of Africa is horseshit. It's awful. Yes. Trying to get around and like just drive like semis and stuff we take for granted. There's no interstate system in Africa. Infrastructure is the number one thing that will help these countries get that to a spot where it we don't have like third world communities anymore. We can get them it, the supplies that they need quickly, efficiently, and cost less money to do so. Help the infrastructure of Africa, and you can help a, a lot more. Or, sorry, the good that people are already doing with st- with uh, stuff like the AIDS epidemic can be helped way more if you fix the infrastructure. Remember that as, as we, as uh, I guess, I don't celebrate isn't the right word as we, as we commemorate, commemorate world AIDS day. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I could say it much better, um, but yeah. Um, I, I'm out of stuff to talk about. Finally. Thank God. <laughs> it's been so don't much. Worry, we'll have Dave Meltzer on Tuesday. We won't have to do a whole lot of talking and hey. that's, it's going to be a lot of fun. If you have yeah, any I'm questions. I'm so excited for that. 
Um, the easiest place to drop those questions is the Voices of Wrestling Discord, where we have our own channel, The Good, The Bad, and The Hungy. You can also email us at hungypod at gmail.com. You can DM myself at the Real Forno on Twitter slash X, and you can find Fred on about 500 different offshoots, but he is no longer on no, just blue Elon Musk machine. Thank you guys very much for listening. Like, comment, subscribe. Do all the things. Help us out. And if you want, there's a link to donate to us in the show notes. I am trying to buy an NFL Blitz arcade machine, and I'm sure Fred wants to buy um, more packs of cards so he can find another Anna J one of one and sell that <laughs> on the eBay. Thank you very much for listening. We will see you next week with the legend himself, Dave Meltzer. Take care. Take care, everyone. Have a good one. Hola, hola. My name is Ricardo. I am the host of the Lucha Jovers podcast here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. We are a Spanish-speaking show dedicated to discussing and analyzing pro wrestling from all across the world. From AW to CMLL, we talk about American wrestling, Japanese wrestling, and of course, Lucha Libre. If something big happened in the pro wrestling world, we will talk about it. So if you know Spanish or have a friend that knows Spanish or want to practice your Lucha Libre pronunciations, go listen to the Lucha Jovers podcast right here in the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Nos vemos por ahí.